The following podcast of Scene Profiles is brought to you commercial-free by The LA Jazz Scene LA's only jazz paper celebrates its 25th year as Los Angeles' leading publication in the world of jazz. Pick up one at your favorite jazz club or visit us online at lajazzscene.net Sam and Harry's Restaurant Serving Orange County's finest steaks and seafood Located inside of the Newport Beach Marriott at 900 Newport Center Drive in Newport Beach, California. Be sure to join us for our amazing new Sunday Night Jazz series that begins on October 21st with Dave Damiani and the No Vacancy Orchestra. Reservations can be made by calling 949-729-6900 or online at salmonharrys.com. Special room rates available. Welcome to Scene Profiles podcast interviewing LA's best and brightest young jazz talent and also providing general insight into the Los Angeles jazz scene. My name is Lyman Medeiros. Joining me as always is my co-host Dave Damiani. How you doing Dave? I'm doing great. How you doing Lyman? I'm good. Good to, see you. good to see you too. Have you successfully recovered from our friend Mike's wedding on Sunday which we had the honor of playing at oh my God. and attending? What a, what a night. What a great night of music and friends and I know and I hope my wife's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> San Luis Obispo is a crazy place. Who knew? It is a crazy place, and I can't wait to go back. Yeah, me no, too. it was a pretty good time. Yeah. Good time. Well, our guest today <laughs> hails from Oregon, where he started playing guitar at the ripe old age of five. He moved to L.A. in 2002 to attend the University of Southern California, where his career quickly took off. In 2005, he was selected as one of ten finalists in the highly prestigious Thelonious Monk International Jazz Guitar Competition. Also, while, USC, while at USC, he formed the guitar trio New West, a group he still leads to this day, touring both nationally and internationally. He currently works with highly regarded recording artists Renee Olstead and Spencer Day. In addition to his busy career as a performer, he is also active as a teacher and student as well, having just received a graduate degree from CalArts. We are happy to welcome to the No Vacancy Studios, John Story. Hey, How you doing, John? Hey, nice. I'm great. Thanks, you guys. Good to see you. Thanks for coming by. Oh, my pleasure. That's so great to see you. Yeah, this is three times in, in about a week we've run into each other. It's a record. I know. Record, I mean, my goodness. It's like, it's just, you don't see somebody forever, and then you I know. see them a bunch, and gosh, I think I'm sick of you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it usually doesn't take too long. Three yeah. times is yeah, about yeah, right. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely sick of them. Yeah, and you too, Dave. Yeah, I won't even say your name. <laughs> so five. How is it you picked the guitar Ooh. so young? Well, you know, it's it's really funny. I... um playing the guitar at five I think just means messing around with it you know and thinking of it kind of as a toy but sure I you know as far back as I can remember man I just wanted to play the guitar I've always enjoyed it from everything from Raffi and John Denver and Peter Paul and Mary up mm -hmm. to Wes Montgomery and Kenny Burrell there's just been this constant drive to learn and to grow on it and uh Fortunately, my mom is a musician herself. She's a great jazz piano player and music oh, cool. teacher. Yeah, and so she saw when I was really little that I wanted to play an instrument. She started me on piano, and I told her, I said, you know what? Piano is your instrument. I want to play something that's my own. So sure. she got me a guitar, and nobody in my family played. She kind of played a little bit, but... I took to it, and uh, you know, then when I was a teenager, I started getting pretty serious. And uh, fortunately, I've been able to make it my thing and have it be the thing that I wow. that I do all the time now. That's so, great. Yeah, I, yeah. I usually ask all our guests how um, how we were exposed to jazz because we're of a generation while we're all jazz musicians and we love jazz music. We didn't really grow up with it, right? Per se, but it sounds like that might not have been the case with you if your mother was a was a jazz musician herself. It's very true. Well, you know, I grew up in rural Oregon, so there wasn't a lot of 
jazz music happening in my town. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of bluegrass and country music, which was really influential to me as an improviser, actually. Um, however, uh, she definitely saw that I had this interest in creating and sort of doing my thing, you know, taking the chords and taking the songs that I was learning, but turning them into my own song and my own chord shapes and whatnot. Right. So uh, she gave me some, some jazz records early on. And, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't really listen much to them. Like she had a, she had some Jim Hall records. She had some George Benson records. She was a big Chet Baker fan and Jim Hall's on cool. some of those early Chet Baker records. And I heard the guitar playing on him and was like, well, it's really great, but I don't know really what's going on. And it wasn't until I was in middle school and I went to jazz camp and I saw these kids who were a few years older than me who were really playing at a high level. And they all had electric guitars, these hollow body jazz guitars that yeah, I had sure. never seen. And I said, man, that's that's what I got to do. And then when I listened to the recordings again, I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. That's what they're doing. They're taking these tunes. They're soloing over them. So mm -hmm. I got into, right about 6th, 7th grade, 12, 13, I, I stopped listening to folk music and country music, which was kind of how I started playing guitar. And I got an electric guitar, and I just started playing bebop. And nice. however I could try it, at first it was just mostly blues stuff. But sure, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Now, now, if I'm not mistaken, when you were growing up, you kind of bounced around between different small cities. Yeah, in Oregon, yeah. but you eventually wound up in Portland. Is that yeah, 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 yeah. Well, my mom was a single parent. She raised, and and so you know, she's a music teacher too. Uh, and so in the late '90s, she was kind of struggling to find a permanent teaching job up there uh -huh. so we moved kind of from central oregon down to southern oregon and then by the time i was about a junior in high school she she recognized i was playing like hours and hours a day i was in all the honor jazz bands i was listening a ton and she said you know what we should move to portland because that's where there's a jazz scene and you can actually go meet these musicians and sit sure. in so i went to portland in two year 2000 started my junior year of high school there and met mel brown and dan Balmer, dan family jerry hahn all these john stoll these great musicians who live up there daryl sure. grant the list goes on and on underrated jazz scene up in portland yeah and def definitely it is and they were all so gracious to me and when i was 16 they would let me sit in and That's like cool. Wednesday night, I would go down to Jimmy Max, which is like the jazz club up there. And they would always have me sit in with them every night. And Mel Brown would say, hey, I want you to come back next week and bring in another tune that you're learning. And it became just as important to me to go to that session every week as it was for me to go to high school and get those grades, which I, I worked hard in high school so I could go to a school like USC, you know, yeah. but uh, definitely when I moved to Portland right around 2000 things really changed because it actually gave me performance opportunities and Bend Oregon and Medford there there weren't really places to go play I mean some there were a couple local guys but that was that was it so when I got to Portland that's when I knew that this was what I was supposed to do did you start gigging around then yeah I did I think I started taking my first pro gigs about that time and I would play little casual gigs and sometimes my teacher Dan Balmer would have me sub for him on a rare occasion and and uh, yeah and so the following summer right before 9-11 I uh, my, before my senior year of high school I um I started really trying to find gigs and I formed a quartet called the Time Quartet <laughs> and we uh we started playing the around time, town the, the time T Y M E T Y oh yeah check you out <laughs> like like the spice that way <laughs> yeah. exactly well without As in the partially H. sage without Rosemary the H. and right <laughs> wow. but you know no joke that band did well we we recorded a record when we were eighteen and we won a downbeat award that year for best high school jazz band in the awesome. country and we did we 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 did a lot and. Uh, we hustled and tried to find our way and all those guys are now playing too some of them are in new york and uh, so 
definitely by the time I was 16, 17, I started working professionally and helping, helping pay the rent and just saving a little money to go to school. That's great. And, uh, yeah. And, and then kind of started setting the stage for me to go to college and, and pursue this professionally. Right. So th that was actually going to be my next question. Did you come to L.A. to study at USC or did you come to USC to be in L.A.? Ooh, that's a great question. I really, like most young jazz artists, right away out of high school, I knew that, that I wanted to go to New York to meet sure. all these great jazz musicians there. But but there was something valuable to me to staying on the West Coast, being that my family was out here. And also, you know, in terms of the guitar world at the time, Joe DiOrio was teaching at USC and just a amazing jazz guitar teacher amazing player and i always i always idolized him and mm. so i started looking at that school because he was still teaching there and um thinking that it would be a really great place to go not to mention it had a great guitar department so f at first i looked at usc more than i looked at los angeles because mm -hmm. i think like a lot of people who don't live here our view of la is that it's it's a it's a town where there's a lot of entertainment going on in film tv movies and and perhaps i would would get into that a little bit but i was thinking more in the lines of a jazz scene in New York so when right. I came to LA I was so surprised and like to learn about the history of the jazz scene here and how interesting oh, yeah. it is mm -hmm. and um, how there's so many great players here so right away when I got here I knew that this was where I wanted to stay and at that point I had really no interest in developing my career in New York I really wanted to develop it here in Los Angeles so that was cool. yeah, 2002 and USC was such an amazing time then. Such great players, Gerald Clayton. Oh, John yeah, Clayton was teaching sure. there. Shelly Berg. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm so lucky I was there at, at, at such a special time. Yeah. Such a special time. Yeah, that was. We've talked about that before with Gina Saputo, who was a previous mm -hmm. guest. Who was, she was there I think she was, I was finishing there. up right around She right was around also that time. participating in the Monk Institute, yeah, which was, Monk was there. And well. the, when I got there that year, Leonel Awake, Gretchen Parlato was there. And mm -hmm. Pat Matheny came to work with, with them and work with Joe DiOrio because Joe was his teacher. Oh, and wow. I, I'll ne I'll never I didn't know that. Joe was his teacher in Miami. Wow. And, yeah, and so I'll never forget one day going to my lesson and walking in, knocking on the door, and Joe's like, come on in, man, let's do our lesson, I've got a special <laughs> guest for you, and right behind the door was Matheny. Wow. And he's like, let's play a tune for Pat, you know, and I was like, man, Joe, I don't know about this, right? And then Lionel came in, and before you know it, Lionel, Luike, and Pat Matheny, and Joe Diori, and I'm sitting here going, okay, I am way in over my head at this point, It's too man. heavy in I'm here I'm still learning the changes to all the things you are, you know? So, um, yeah, it was a special time you know yeah. and the performance opportunities were amazing and uh and also with new west guitar group we were able to really take advantage of some of some unique funding that came through to help students collaborate together and to put out projects and mm -hmm. we literally got our career started with all that help i mean it's amazing we were able to access that when we were there too right so, yeah it's a great time to be there you are um our first guest to have been a finalist in the monk competition now mm -hmm. uh for right. those of you in podcast land who might not know, the Thelonious Monk competition is a, is a very prestigious, without a doubt, the most prestigious jazz competition. It's held every year, right. and it changes instrument every year. One year it'll be for piano, one year it'll be for bass, and um, people from literally all over the world send in audition tapes 
Yep. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It starts with recordings, and then they choose ten finalists to go to uh, to go and perform, be it in New York or L.A. or wherever. And John right. was one of the ten finalists in 2005, like I said before. So talk to us a little bit about that experience. Oh man, talk about a highlight. You know. I bet. I mean, I sent in the stuff real last minute. I recorded the stuff almost the day before it was due, and I just said, "Heck, I'll just see what happens." And they only do guitar every ten years, you know, because mm. they really emphasize obviously the piano tradition with sure. the institute and. Um, other instruments so I'm sure they'll do a guitar one again in a few years I can't believe it's been seven years ago but um, <laughs> when they called me I was on the road and they said you congratulations you know you made it and I was just kind of stunned I said really you know I mean a player like myself you'd think and I was really young I was just about tw I was 20 years old and um, uh, and then when the competition rolled around I was 21 in that September but I it was it was an amazing experience to to be on a stage where people are looking at you like I wonder if this person's going to be a significant contributor to jazz music because in the past guys like, you know, Larry Golding's, Chris Potter, um, Joshua Francesco, Joshua Redman, all those Bill guys Kramer. were part of this, you know, and mm -hmm. there's this tradition that you go to this competition and who wins ends up kind of carrying some sort of torch or developing thing. So it was kind of, it was sort of weird, but in another way, it was it was loose because all the once we got there, we all of us felt like, wow, we're here, we did this. Where um, was the Where was the final? It was in D.C. It was okay. in D.C. at the Smithsonian and the Kennedy Center. And um, what was interesting about that year is, in years past, they took fifteen semifinalists, and mm -hmm. starting in two thousand five, they only took ten. And because of the TV, BET, and NBC taped the finals, mm -hmm. and which this was kind of interesting. In years past, they took five of the fifteen and. Turned them into the finalists for the, and they gave out five awards. They gave out fifth, fourth, third, second, and first place, okay. right? With money awards and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, the year that I did it, they only took ten, and then three of those guys got to go to the Kennedy Center and play. Uh, so okay. they they had, but what they did at the Smithsonian was they gave like honorable like uh like a recognition and i actually got one of those which was really cool i was I the bet. youngest i was the youngest guy in the competition and right away when i got there i was like man some of these guys have been playing professionally since i was in junior high you know like <laughs> the, like Lage, who won was 29 mm. and i'm 21 and i thought about that kind of messed me up but just the joy of getting on stage i played with chris potter and terry lynn carrington james genus and wow. it was interesting bob james was the piano player and the judges it was like I looked out there and there's it was George Benson, Russell Malone, Earl Clues, Stanley Jordan, Bill Frizzell, John Pizzarelli. Couldn't I mean, find anyone good. Yeah, really. Yeah, they were yeah. found some hack teachers. So. <laughs> I it, and then looking into the audience and seeing Herbie and Wayne and Josh Redman was there. I, I, I just got on stage and I said, you know what? I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to really enjoy this. I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. And whatever happens, win, lose or draw like this is an amazing experience. And. I I still the connections from that I still have and uh, it was it was a real boost for me uh, not just not in an ego way but just a boost that hey I if if I can get here anybody can but if I can do this I wonder what else I can do and right. I still had a year left right. of college and and uh, it was it was really great I hope that if the competition happens before I'm 30 I'll get a chance to to reapply but um mm -hmm. I you know even if I don't get to go again it was a it was a really special time that's great you can call it an ego boost man that's I don't cool. know it boost my ego it was fun because when I was at NAM the following <laughs> year I was playing at this guitar booth and Herbie walked by and he stopped me and said oh hey man how are you nice. I, I didn't get to talk and he came up and he said 
said, I didn't get to tell you, you sounded really great. And Herbie looked, Hancock, Herbie yeah. Nichols, or Herbie, Herbie Hancock. Okay. Yeah, Herbie Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Herbie Mann, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hubert Laws. Uh, no, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, he was really awesome. And then I was also, the following year, I was an intern with the Monk Institute for part of my work study at USC. <laughs> so oh, it was really cool. funny. I'd be filling out paperwork, and Terrence Blanchard, who was also there, and, and Herbie would come in and be like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, and you know, bring your guitar in. It was, it was really cool to be a part of that family and I was considering applying to the Monk Institute but the way that my education worked out it just the years never really coincided and and mm-hmm. uh, but um but now it's so great to have it back in LA now you yeah, know it's great yeah. to have it over at UCLA and Dave, Dave Robert my friend is their bass player and mm-hmm. uh, it's you know they're still just it's an amazing program amazing institute the Monk Institute which right. we talked about before on Gina's podcast is actually a, like a, a collegiate program different from the comp- same comp- same company i guess yeah, for lack of a better right, word but right. a different different thing you know the institute is a is a, right. is a two-year program versus the competition which is just, just i'd always wonder what competition what happens once Lonius monk would think himself about the program you yeah. know because he wasn't a very inst- obviously very institutionalized kind of minded person not but, to get too sidetracked but the right. great piano player ethan iverson just mm-hmm. wrote he has a, a popular blog that a lot of jazz musicians read and he just um wrote this blog on how Thelonious Monk probably never would have made the finals yeah. of his namesake competition. Yeah, that's well, George Benson got up on stage and he's like, man, I heard all these guys today and I don't even know how to read notes. <laughs> I wouldn't be here. Right. And I sold a million copies of my record. Yeah. And it was, we were all sitting there going, yeah, you did, George. Yeah, you're, you're worth a hundred million dollars too. So I guess, you know what, it was, it was really fun. Whatever, yeah. he, whatever he figured out. Right, right, right. But it was really amazing. It was really amazing. Well, it sounds like a, uh, a fantastic experience. Yeah, it really man. set the stage for just the level that I want to always be at. Because, man, when I got there and saw those players, and it really opened up my eyes. I was like, man, they chose 10 of us. Over 300 people applied from all over the world for this, and they chose us. But I know there were another 50, 60 guys who should be here. Right. You know, right. I even knew some guys in L.A. I was like, man, how come so-and-so, sh- so-and-so should be also be here? Right. You know, right. it's just always a crapshoot. But it was it was awesome. It was really, really cool. Um, you brought up uh, your group New West mm-hmm. earlier. New West has been an important driving force in your career. I know yeah. the band has been through different formats and personnel since its inception. Uh, uh, tell us about its beginnings and how the group has evolved. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, my, this has just been my thing. I uh, When I was at USC, part of our degree program was taking guitar ensemble, uh, which at first I thought was kind of funny because I'd never pictured myself playing jazz music in a situation with like other guitar players, per se, and trying to make it sound something that was fun to listen to but like I said I was at USC at a really special time and the, the players that were there just seemed to we seemed to intersect at a certain point and Perry Smith really good friend of my colleague who's now living in New York big we, shout out to Perry yeah that's right P Diddy <laughs> he uh he um he and I were placed into an ensemble together along with this fellow Matt Roberts and another guy Brady Cohan and at the time, we didn't really have a name or a concept for the group, but, but we all came in there and we said, you know what, maybe we can make this something really interesting. Let's bring in some transcriptions and some kind of off tunes. And so we started just writing and it turned into something that was really fun and kind of different than the other guitar ensembles that they had had at the time. And we applied for a grant there called the Protégé Grant, which was this funding that was used to help students collaborate and we won and we we got on a, we got some money and so with that we did a record mm-hmm. and with that record we were able to enter the north texas state jazz competition and so the guys and i got some more funding and we went down to north texas with pat kelly our director great guitar player here in town and 
we entered the combo division no rhythm section no bass no drums no vocals horns mm -hmm. as just the four of us as new west guitar quartet and we played a couple arrangements we, uh we played like an arrangement i hear rhapsody and all the things you are in some tunes and man we just we we, we won we won the whole division there were like 30 other bands competing in this and there were nice. rhythm sections from north texas's guys and they gave it to us <laughs> and Great. we were like man we can compete on the level of like a regular band people could see us and get just as much out of this as they can with the rhythm section so we mm -hmm. came back to town and we started booking some gigs and then uh, as we all were graduating, other opportunities opened up. We went to Japan, uh, went to Canada, the Montreal Jazz Festival, uh, the city of L.A., um, this program called L.A. Inc., which is through the Chamber of Commerce, asked us to represent the L.A. at the Berlin, Los Angeles Sister Cities Festival. We went to Berlin, spent a month out there. And so between 2005 and 2007, we were New West Guitar Quartet, and we released Introducing and an album called Wide Awake. Um, following that, one of our members, Matt Roberts, took the gig with um, Beyonce Knowles, and he, he left the group. So Brady and Perry and I continued as a trio. And mm -hmm. to this day, that's kind of been the format of the group. And now mm -hmm. it's called New West Guitar Group. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it's evolved from being a group that's played arrangements of standards to playing all original music. And now we're combining some popular covers of, of tunes that people might know. Uh, it's kind of our favorite thing to like take 80s tunes. Like we have this Tears for Fears tune. Everybody wants to rule the world. We'll do that. Um, I, I, we have a Beatles tune. We have some of that that we'll interject with our original music. But at the cool. core of what we're doing, it's a jazz ensemble. How many records is this you guys have done? We've done four albums now. Yeah. We released an all acoustic record in 2009 called Sleeping Lady. And then this last one is called Round Trip Ticket, which we released on Summit Records, which is a really great label. Is your second record on Summit or first, first, record, first record on, on Summit. Summit? Yeah, and uh, it's also, in my opinion, the first record that really shows what we do live uh, in the sense that our what kind of sets we're giving. Pri prior to this, we were still figuring out a lot of stuff with this group. It's a difficult format to write for, and it's yeah, like you know trying to get away from the idea that one guy's walking bass and one guy's playing chords and one mm -hmm. guy's soloing. Because it gets so canny that way, mm -hmm. trying to break that down and incorporate acoustic guitar and classical guitar and the jazz guitar, it's really been a study in orchestration. And boy, it's been a fun, fun project. And we just completed a really fun tour this summer. We were in the Midwest, and uh, we've probably played now probably about six, seven hundred shows. And we've wow. released four albums, and we've played in five countries. So we're the goal for us even though we're on two coasts now with perry out there and our new member uh jeff stein who replaced brady cohan last year and brady's now the house guitarist on american idol mm -hmm. um and jeff jeff and perry and i uh you know we want to keep this thing going it's it's a project that not only are we performing with but we're teaching we did a right. guitar camp this summer very cool yeah we're going to north texas state in a couple months to do a clinic with the guitar students there in university of oregon and um we do a lot of teaching through it and it's it's been a really fun project and man i, I would have never thought that's great that. well let's let's listen to a track yeah, you want to you want to introduce this John? this is the opening track on round trip ticket it's called arrowhead it was written by perry Perry Smith. Here yeah. we go. Round trip ticket. Here we go.
John, that's awesome, man. I I swear, I feel like I've heard that before. Is that is that been on like K Jazz or some sort of? <laughs> well, you know, actually, it's been used as a bumper on NPR. All things, all things considered, that's that must what be it. it. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, which we're very excited about. That is awesome. Yep, that's great. Really cool. That means every Democrat in this country is going to know about our record. Got another one right here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're yeah we're we're excited about that. They've been ever since I think in June they aired it first and. They've been playing it every other week as um, bumper music, which means in the morning before the news they play it, and then they do talk about all this stuff, and then at the end they'll play a couple minutes of it. This, this is what I this is what I love about you because I've I've done a couple gigs with you, and like I'm always nervous <laughs> because when I, when I play with somebody, especially younger guitar players, that they're they're not going to get because I come from the old school. I'm not like you know. I'm not a learned musician like a lot of you guys. Go back and you go to school and you get these degrees and you go to these really very high you know very high like levels of, uh-huh. of playing <laughs> mm-hmm. and and you can do both not only do you do that but you also know the pedagogy and it's like i feel like i'm oh, hanging with an older guy like barry's wag oh yeah told me about you barry's the man no but i feel like yeah. i feel like when i'm when when i'm playing with you that you have this this like you have an understanding of every situation and a lot of these guys because he always makes fun of me. I'm not into the real modern jazz. <laughs> not yeah. at all. No, but, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, no, but what you're doing yeah. here is accessible. Mm-hmm. Totally accessible. And it's Just also... Like, totally creative. And totally creative. Oh, thank you, man. Well, yeah. yeah you know, we're trying... Because the guitar world is so big... Uh, it, it just so happens that our instrument speaks to a lot of different people, kind of like the voice does, you know. And when people hear guitar music, they can kind of, oh, that sounds like a guy plucking an acoustic guitar. And down to, like, if somebody's a trained jazz musician, they could listen to this and be like, oh, formally, this is what they're doing. And, oh, the sol- here's the solos. I see what they're doing with this. And mm-hmm. we're, tr- we're trying to do all of that. But because we've been doing this for so long, it's just kind of naturally with our writing just that this is the sound of this group you know and and uh, it's it is i think of it as modern jazz but it's also a branch of chamber music and i think also kind of americana-ish music because boy i mm-hmm. incorporate a lot of the bluegrass elements it's I very much play. very much americana totally, totally. Yeah. thanks hey, man thanks where can where can where can we go see you guys where can we go see the new well we've got a bunch of stuff coming up actually in october uh we will be up in oregon we're going to be playing at the jazz station in eugene with camilla t lounge in, in portland and this is october 17th 18th ish and you can go to newwestguitar.com to see our calendar because things are always kind of in flux but 
uh, we're going to be clinicking at University of Oregon. And uh, we're going to be at Eastern Oregon University as well on October 16th. Uh, but in L.A., we're going to be at the Blue Whale on a Monday night, Monday, October 22nd. Uh, and the Blue Whale is really our home here in L.A. We really like playing in that room, and uh, we'll be there. Uh, and then we're also going to be out at North Texas State, October 29th, and the Norman Performing Arts Studio in Oklahoma City on October 28th. So for more information about those dates, you can go to newwestguitar.com. Uh, our Facebook page is also listed under New West Guitar Group. Too. That's great. Yeah. great. New West, um, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, it is pretty much a, a do-it-yourself operation. Yeah. You, you work really hard to book the band, right. not only locally but nationally as well. You write and arrange for the band. Right. As musicians, we tend to focus quite a bit on only music but there's a there's a very important business side to our careers that are quite important as well and it seems like you have you have quite a handle on that aspect as does dave yeah uh, john story uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's where do you right think, where do you think your your knowledge about that for lack of a better word business side comes from that well regard? in the beginning i was really afraid to get into booking a band because i didn't know how to talk to club owners i didn't know how to send an email or what if i send an email or if you call them or if you show up and to me it was a, a little kind of scary and it sort of took a couple years when I was in college and I'm so glad I got started when I was in school doing this because it's there's a little bit of an innocence you have when you're in school contacting these club owners and be like hey I'm studying music and I'd like to book my band this summer and do a little tour mm -hmm. it, there's a, you get a little bit of leeway and and I learned by talking to these club owners and some of them would actually take me under their wing and be like this is what you should do or this is what you shouldn't do and and this you don't want to book like us tonight and book another club tomorrow and have it be in the same town like Cincinnati yeah, you know so I didn't really understand that at first and we we Perry and I and Brady and Jeff, all these guys we've all kind of learned the ropes as we've gone and you know as we've gotten deeper into this and started to try and book international dates which we've been successful with on our own we also kind of have understood the importance of, of thinking of it like a business thinking of it as a true partnership and having all of that mm -hmm. all the business stuff like a bank account all that stuff done but also in the long run finding somebody who's as excited about our music as we are and getting somebody to help book the bands but we know that that time will come when we are profitable to a certain point and people can earn money on what we're doing sure. so John did you have yeah. did you have uh, you have sales experience have you had a, you've had a sales job right no nope <laughs> except well McDonald's I worked at McDonald's no, I no. sold a lot of Big Macs no, we, 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 we were talking I want to I want to I want to address something right now because we were talking the other day about having you come over and I called you about doing the podcast uh-huh and you did something that was really sharp and really smart. You said, "Well, I got my calendar right here in front of me. Which day works for you?" Yep. You didn't. Yep. You didn't waste the time on the phone, right? As if to say, "Well, let's have another conversation about this. Let's have the conversation right now. Yep. <laughs> let's get it in writing." Right. Yeah. I, I, listen, yeah. I got a serious sales background. Uh huh. That's something that that is taught to people, but they don't even know how to do it. Right. How do you know how to do that? <laughs> well, you know, man, I my dad my my dad was uh, an attorney and a good listener. And uh, and my mom tells I don't know she well she tells good jokes uh, I don't know somewhere in between that world somewhere in between that kind of personal world with people and the more business kind of listening sense I guess you know and also it's a survival mechanism if I don't schedule that date with you it may never happen it's, it's all right, it's, right and, exactly and, and, it's also you give the false choice well I'm available right. Tuesday or Thursday what day is better yeah, for yeah that's right the false choice the false I dig choice. it that's great man yeah it's 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 always a learning curve I'm still learning a lot about it right now and. Uh, 
you know, putting these tour to get tours together, it's not easy. And sometimes you're on top of your stuff, but then the person on the other end won't get back to you for six months. And all these other people are dependent on you knowing what your schedule is. You know a lot more Mm -hmm. about it than you think. Uh, Yeah. Well, I, you know, and balancing all the teaching work I do around LA and the local gigs with all the local artists I work with, I want to continually help develop other people while at the same time help my career and help what I'm doing. And that is definitely a balance that they don't teach you a lot about in music school. That is something you have to learn on the road and you have to learn like how do I keep my work in one place and then go out and branch out and do other things at the same time it's very hard you know these days well you're so you're so you're so it's an art and you're you're being you're being you know you're artistic and you're working on this creative thing Mm -hmm. and then it's like how do I how do I take that plunge from now I got to take this thing that I'm not because you never feel like you're there right you always feel like you always feel like you're getting better but how do I go and sell what I have yeah it's still you know and it's like at some point you got to turn that off right and just be like man this is what we got yes Yes. And we got to go with it. Exactly. And for a long time, we tried to fit kind of a square peg into a round hole and pitch this group in a variety of different ways. Out to the jazz clubs, we'd be like, oh, yeah, we're a jazz guitar group. To the rock club, oh, yeah, we play rock songs. But now we understand that if we have that statement of we are a acoustic electric guitar ensemble that plays Americana music ranging from jazz, blues, and rock to originals and covers of popular tunes. If we just come out and say that to these people and show them our music, it they, they can decide for themselves if we're a good fit or not. And instead of us worrying about getting the gig, oftentimes it just works out. Sometimes the gigs we're not supposed to get, we don't get for a reason. Right. And, you know, we'll find another one. And we're always working. Every day I spend hours a day working on this stuff at home. And it's hard because I want to spend time practicing practicing and developing and listening to music and hanging out with guys like you and it's all part of my growth and it's it sometimes it's sometimes it's more involved than others and uh you know it's it's just a constant like you said it's a constant learning process and i really hope someday now that i've obtained my master's degree i'll be in a position where i can help other young artists who are serious about getting their music out there learn how to promote themselves and learn how to yeah. how to work for themselves i'm gonna make the prediction right now that someday you'll be running a, uh, a music label <laughs> hey uh, all right <laughs> No, no, and I, and, I, and, I, and, I say, and I say that in all seriousness because, uh-huh. <laughs> because not only do you have a, a great understanding of all these things, which most people don't. Most people that are working at music labels don't know what you know about booking bands mm-hmm. and, and putting stuff together. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. So well, thank you. And yeah, I mean, man, it's this is it's just it's always great to hang out with guys like you and um, and just also see what everybody else is doing and mm-hmm. to uh, you know I'm not trying to compete against anybody. I'm just trying to compete against myself and to tr- try and always improve and and you know be more aware of of who who i am versus who i want to be versus who i think i am you know and just right. try and narrow that down as much as i can so yeah so in the middle of this busy career as a performer band leader and educated you just decide to go back to school <laughs> what prompted that <laughs> oh man well you know a few things one i know many people who are listening to this in los angeles especially know who larry Koontz is and Larry, mm-hmm. for those who don't know, for those of you who don't know, is one of the finest jazz guitarists on the planet Earth. Without doubt. Hands down, as a player, as a person, as a father, as a teacher, all around, this guy is somebody who, when you hang out with, you're like, okay, I can learn a lot of stuff from this guy. And I met Larry a number of years ago, and he's been a huge fan of, uh, a supporter of New West and given us a lot of advice over the years. But I always knew I wanted to study with him, and he's been a major figure up at California Institute of the Arts since 1990, 1991. And, and uh, 
so part of me was like, I want to go study from that guy somehow. Somehow mm-hmm. I want to go learn from that guy. And I know he's so busy. The only way I'm going to be able to study with him is if I actually go through the program up there because outside of that, he doesn't really teach. So mm-hmm. that was the first thing. It was about how do I learn from this guy? If I go and study with this guy, I'm going to get some powerful tools as a player, as a person, as a teacher. The other thing, I realized that back in 2010, just the state of things with education, I was thinking, man, I don't know what it, how easy it's going to be for me to do grad school in a few years. I think it's going to be a lot easier for me to go now, or it's going to get harder for me to go. And right. just, just because of yeah. making it easier for uh, students to get financial aid and all those sorts of things, and boy, was I right. You know, I'm glad if I hadn't gone two years ago, I don't know if I could have afforded it now. And I looked at some programs. Of course, I looked at USC again, which has a great graduate program. It's where I did my undergraduate. But as an artist, as a jazz musician, part of what I do is just gaining experiences from as many different people as possible. So I knew that going to another school, I would gain a whole new set of connections and benefits than if I were to just go back to the same same school. So I considered both. And in the end, CalArts was where I, I ended up. And so that was the other reason was just timing. I knew that I needed to get it done. So Larry, timing. And then on top of that, as an educator, as somebody who includes teaching, I knew that someday I would actually be able to put my college degree to use if I obtained that master's degree. Had I not, I don't know if I'd ever be able to put to work that undergrad, which, boy, I worked so hard for. And I also, just with my teaching experience, I know that gaining the, the higher credentials just eventually will will and make me end up having some sort of other teaching work that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. Sure. So there's there's all those reasons. And in the end, the benefits were way more than just that. I mean, mm-hmm. the world music up there is amazing. And the, the, the experience of being in a building that everyone is trying to do something really creative, it was really great. And a very different thing from my experience at USC, which was also positive, but more academic. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. 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 So I got it and did it in May, and now I'm now now that that's done, I can spend more time. I'm going to work on my solo record this year, which I've got kind of mapped out for myself. And um, okay, I'm, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, Why don't you yeah, tell yeah. us a little about the solo record you're planning? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I in January I moved into a new house with some friends, and we built a studio downstairs, and that's been a whole new learning curve. How that all works, and oh. we've been down there recording a bunch of stuff. You mentioned Renee Olstead earlier. We recorded her EP and. Some single uh, single that came out recently that's done really well uh, she's a sing- great singer a great actress uh, and so through the process of working with Renee I kind of again got my producer hat on a little bit and with thinking about what we've done with New West and thinking about what I've done as a sideman with other artists I'm kind of it's becoming clearer to me what I want to say what I want to say as an artist and what my statement's going to be because for a long time I just wanted to cut a really swinging organ trio record man like tribute to Wes and Jimmy Smith like that's like my hand because I'm so into that but now now that I've done all this other music and I'm really glad I've waited a little bit and I want to do it all at the house and and have my friend Tommy King produce it and, and help me track it and have it be a big learning experience just on the recording end of things and the musical side of things but right now I've been tapping a lot into my roots playing a lot of acoustic guitar uh, even some classical guitar in addition to my jazz playing and uh, this record I'm going to see as some sort of amalgamation of all that stuff not to mention me as a as developing as a, as a singer as well because I sing um, as well now as in addition Very to playing cool. guitar and so I'm doing some songwriting yeah. and uh, whether or not it's all original music or some covers and 
uh, how much straight ahead jazz is going to be on it compared to how much more of the singer songwriter kind of style it's going to be. It's all coming together, but it's been about a two year process actually of, of writing. And now it's really clear to me. So hopefully by the end of the year, I'm going to have some stuff done for people to check out. I'm really excited That's about great. it. Sounds great. Excited to hear it. Yeah. Thanks. man. Well, I think it's time to, Wrap up this podcast with a scene profiles first. A scene profiles first. A debut. What are you guys gonna play? Uh-oh. John Story's gonna play guitar. I'm gonna play the bass. I That's have no right. clue. Yeah, and probably won't <laughs> until you hear it. What do you want to play, John? Do you have anything in mind? Oh man, I'm just trying to think of some tunes <laughs> that I love playing <laughs> we'll with Mr. Lyman Medeiros, the most swinging cat. Uh, man, shucks. you know, I don't know. When I think about playing with Lyman, I think about playing something oh gosh, let's see. Do you know that that great Jerome Kern tune, Nobody Else But Me? Sure. Why don't we play that one? Let's get that set up. What is this tune again? It's called Nobody, nobody else, else But, but me. me. I Want to Be Nobody Else But Me. Hey, check it out, John. We're going to go into that right now. I want you to, to plug those shows you got coming up. Great. Okay. Go ahead, one more time. Again, so in Los Angeles, we have The Blue Whale on Monday, October 22nd. That's a 9 p.m. show, two sets. We're going to be at the Jazz Station in Eugene, Oregon on October 19th. That's a... Friday, I believe. We're going to be at University of Oregon on October 18th. And we're going to be at the Camilla Tea Lounge in Portland, I believe, also later on October 18th. We'll be at North Texas State University on October 29th and the Norman Performing Arts Studio on October 28th. For those who are people who are also, if I don't know if anybody in New Mexico is listening to this, we're going to be in Albuquerque and Taos and Santa Fe in between those dates as well, but I, I just don't have that on the top of my head. So they can check out your website and right. get that information. Yeah, newwestguitar.com is where you can go to get that, and it's also going to be posted on Facebook for those who check that. And Fantastic. one more thing, I want to buy the CD. Where do I buy your CDs? Great question. You can buy it on iTunes, and you can look under New West Guitar Group, because that's our formal name, New West Guitar Group, Round Trip Ticket. It's available on iTunes. It's also available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, uh, through Summit Records' uh, website, which is SummitRecords.com. And all those links can be found on our website, again, NewWestGuitar.com. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. You can see what Dave is up to at NoVacancyEntertainment.com. You can tweet me, at BigFunky. Thank you very much, John. Oh, thank this you gonna be so fun. much, Look man. To playing. It's a great Heck interview. Yeah, let's and do here's it. And uh, no, here's a uh, scene profiles first. Here we go. Thanks, Nobody else but me. All right. <laughs> 